This morning, I hope that you are having a wonderful uh, day today so far. Good to see you in God's house this morning. I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke, if you would, please. Good crowd out here in our first service, and uh, so thankful that you're here. Last Sunday, we uh, started just a three-week series. Last Sunday, we looked at the topic of heaven. And a lot of people wonder, what's going to happen after this life? What's going to happen after this life? Every Every um, second and a half or so, somebody uh, leaves this earth and enters into eternity, and there's a lot of conversation. Uh, some, some religions teach, if you live a good life, that uh, you'll come back and be something better. Some people believe that um, you die and there's nothing. You just go into the ground, and others believe that if you uh, live a good life and you're a good person, then when you go into eternity, God will accept that. And we, uh, we here at uh, Mount Clover Road, we don't have what we've made up. We only use the Word of God, and that's what we refer to. That's what we look to. As a matter of fact, what the Word of God tells us is there is uh, um, something after this life, and it's eternity. The Bible says this, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, to judgment. One thing that we can be sure of, and I know this isn't going to make you happy, and, but one thing we can be sure of is all of us are going to die. Every single one of us are going to face death. And there is something after death. Jesus' disciples, they asked him this question, where, where are you going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and life. He told his disciples that he was going to go uh, to, to this place and there's prepare a place for them. He's going to go to the Father and uh, spoke of heaven and spoke of the mansions that uh, he was going to prepare a place for us. And um, Jesus came to this earth. The only reason Jesus came to this earth was to give you and I eternal life. There was no other reason he came. His disciples thought that he was coming to set up a kingdom here. They thought they were going to follow the, the one that was going to overthrow the Roman occupation and set up uh, the kingdom here. But Jesus didn't come uh, to set up his kingdom here upon this earth at that time. He came, the Bible says, to seek and to save that, that which were lost. And he talked about heaven. And we looked at heaven last week and what a wonderful thing that is. And we saw what heaven was going to be like, what we know from the Bible, and also what uh, was not going to be there. In this week, we're going to look at a subject, a topic that Jesus actually spoke more on this topic than he actually did heaven. And that's the topic of hell. There, the Bible teaches us this. Eternity is going to be either heaven or hell. You are either going to spend eternity in heaven with God, or you're going to spend eternity separated from God in eternal darkness for all of eternity Eternity, our human minds cannot comprehend the length of eternity, but eternity is forever, forever. When a hundred thousand years are up, we're still in eternity forever. The thought of that ought to consume our minds. And we have the life here upon this earth for us to um, either accept Christ or, or uh, uh, deny Christ. And that decision there is what's going to determine where you spend eternity. Not good works, not how much you gave in the offering, not baptismal waters. We're going to baptize two 
this at the end of the service. And it's not the baptismal waters that saves a person. It's their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's a very, there's a very uh, graphic uh, look at hell here in Luke chapter number 16. If you'd also find your place in Revelation chapter 20, if you'll go to those two selections, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, uh, almost the end of that, that uh, book, you'll find Revelation chapter number 20. In these two passages of scripture, we find a look at this place called hell. We find a look at eternity next week. I'll conclude this three-week series, and we're going to look at the end of it all. We're going to look at uh, just one week, and I can't, um, I can't exhaust the subject of heaven in one week or the subject of hell in one week or end times. Last summer, I preached 14 weeks on end time prophecy, and, and uh, this, this coming week, we're going to just look at the end of it all, and I hope that you'll be here. It's amazing today, I, I've said this to our church often, I read a lot of church growth books and, and books that are out there. And many of them say this, if you're going to build a church, you have to preach positive things. You've got to make people feel good. That people don't want to come and hear messages on hell. Matter of fact, they, many, many churches, you'd be hard pressed for the uh, looking back in their sermon histories, you would find a message, a message on hell. It's in the Bible. It's very clear. Jesus preached more on hell than he did on heaven. What's even sadder than the fact that some believe in it, but don't preach on it. What's even sad, more sad, I believe in society today, many preachers don't even believe in a place called hell. They say, how could a, how could a father, a good father, how could a loving heavenly father send any, any person to this place of torment? I, I, I would say this, that that's not God's desire and that's God's plan. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. His desire is for every single human being to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He did not, his goal, his desire is not to send the human race into eternal darkness, into this place called hell where uh, they'll spend for all of eternity. That's not God's desire. He loved this world. The Bible says in John 3, 16, that God, for God so loved the world. And you can put your name right there for God so loved you that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. He gave a gift. That gift was Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He, he lived a, a sinless life and he went to the cross. And when he bore the, uh, your sin upon that cross, he shed his blood and his blood was, was sufficient payment. Nothing else is needed except the blood that Jesus Christ shed. And when that blood was shed, we sang about the blood this morning. Church, I hope you never get tired of singing about the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There had to be, there had to be a payment. Every single person, the Bible says, every single person is is born into this world is born into sin. No one ever taught you how to sin. It came natural. No one ever taught you how to lie. No one ever taught you how to cheat. No one ever taught you how to, how to steal. It came, it came natural. Why? Because we're sinners. Sinners sin. But there has to be a payment for that sin. And God loves you. And if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I hope today that you would put your faith and trust in him. To be honest with you this morning, I, 
I do not take pleasure. Uh, I wrestled all last evening. I went to bed just, just not feeling well, had a wonderful day and uh, started thinking about this message and laid there in bed. And I said to Michelle last night, I said, I don't, I don't feel well. Thinking about hell. It's not one of those messages that I just say, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to get to church and, and open up the scriptures and, and talk about heaven, those that have lost a loved one that's saved. We're gonna see them again and, and, and we're gonna rejoice. We're gonna see Jesus face to face and he, there's no need for a son because Jesus is the light and, 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 and all the wonderful things about heaven. Last week, I, I uh, wished we have a Saturday night service. I wanted to preach that message so bad this message on hell. In Luke chapter number 16, the Bible says, there's a story of a rich man and Lazarus. Now this is not a parable. Oftentimes Jesus is speaking in parables and he, he'll, he'll speak in uh, that he's going to share a parable. Nowhere here you'll find that he's sharing a parable. Jesus is looking into um, a life of a rich man and Lazarus. The Bible says in verse number 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus was laid at his gate full of sores. Lazarus, speaking of Lazarus in verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died. It was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. The Bible gives us a glimpse. Jesus is speaking and telling this story. He gives us a glimpse of what's happening now in the eternity of this rich man. The Bible says, and in hell, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. I want you to see in the Bible that word torments, it's got an S, it's, it's plural, there's more than one. This is a place of torments. And seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, thou art tormented begins to tell this rich man some facts. He says, besides all this, there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. I think that verse right there is probably the verse that anyone, as they would read this chapter, they would see this verse and it ought to trouble your soul. Abraham says this to this rich man. There's some facts I want to tell you. There's something that you have to realize. Once you get to this place, there's nowhere out, no way out. There's no one that can come from, from heaven to save you, and there's no way that you can leave where you're at. Probably the most troublesome is this, that once you die and you open your eyes as this rich man did in hell, there is no way out. It's eternal. 
This is not something that if you just bide enough time and have enough pain and maybe someone can pray you out or maybe, maybe some, some, something can happen and, 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 and this, this agony will end. No, what, what Abraham is saying to this rich man, he's saying this, where you're at is where you're going to spend eternity. There's no more hope. There's no more help. And that ought to trouble us. It ought to trouble us, those that are saved. It ought to trouble us that somebody would go to a place like this. It ought to trouble the person that is not saved that this is the place that they're going to spend all of eternity. I want you to mark this down, please, and mark this down in your heart someplace. Mark this down and never forget this. Hell is a place where there is no joy and there is no happiness. Hell is a place where there is no joy and there is no happiness. There's some people that say this, and they, they say it jokingly, I think, but I, 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 they, they, some, I think, actually think that it's true. They say, I'm going to go to hell, and I'm going to party with all of my friends there. Hell is not a place of a party. It's a place of flames. There's not going to be laughter there. There's no place here that you find where the rich man, even for a moment in eternity, found any relief. He found any laughter. There was nothing there that caused him joy. There was nothing there that caused him happiness. As we read this passage of Scripture, he lifts up his eyes and he's in torment. He cries out to Abraham. This is a place where there is no joy. Hell is a place of eternal suffering. Hell is a place of no relief. The first vacation that I spent with my wife and my, my in-laws, I, uh, they had a timeshare in, in Williamsburg. And, and um, if you can tell, I don't, I don't tan. I, um, I purple. I, I go from white to purple to peel to white again. And, um, so I went to the, went down to the pool at this place and we stayed and, and, and just, I must've fallen asleep or something. And, and, uh, when we got back to the room that night, my shoulders were just blistered. I, I've never been in so much pain in all of my life. Michelle would come in and, and she'd try to comfort me and, and, um, any other time I would want her to comfort me, but then I just wanted her to leave me alone. She thought if she could put like a wet washcloth on my shoulders, that would help. And um, that wet washcloth just wound up on the other side of the room when she tried to do that. There was nothing that could bring relief. They went and got aloe and got all these things. And the reality is there was nothing that could bring relief. It was so painful. Knowing this though, that at some point it was going to it, I was going to find relief. I think that's what gave me hope. But a person that finds themselves like this rich man in hell, they open their eyes on the other side of eternity. They're going to find themselves in a place where there is no hope. There is no relief. There's only suffering. I told this story before, maybe a year and a half ago or so. And I want to tell you this story again. I was just in elementary school and ladies were having a ladies Bible study. Our pastor's daughter, Sarah was one of the girls. She was about two or three years younger than I was. And 
we were in the basement of this, of this, uh, of, of the church, the fellowship hall area. The ladies were upstairs having their Bible study and the kids were just playing. And before the Bible study, they set up a table and on that table, they put a big urn of coffee. You know, those ones that was, you know, 50 to hundred cups of coffee. They put it on this table and began to percolate and it percolate the entire time. And ladies would come down and, and, uh, They'd have their coffee and whatever snacks they would have. And we were playing in this room and something happened and somebody hit this table. When they put that table up, you know how when you lock the table so that the, the tables don't fall over. No one, someone that put the table up didn't put the table leg all the way straight and lock that table leg and somebody hit that. When that person hit that table, it just, the leg collapsed and as that leg collapsed, that big urn of coffee came crashing down to the floor. Little Sarah Griffin, I believe she was in first grade, so she was six, seven years old or so at that time. She was the one that was standing there as that coffee pot hit that ground and scolding hot coffee from her knees down just saturated her socks and her legs and never in my life, never in my life have I ever heard a scream like I heard that day. My sister was there. She was older than I am. And she went and she grabbed Sarah. And the only thing she could think of is get her into the sink in the kitchen. And she picks her up. But my sister was just a junior high, maybe or so at that time. And she, she thought that she was being helpful and she thought that by taking Sarah's socks off would be a good thing. But as she took her socks off, she took skin with it. And the screams. For weeks after that, my sister would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. It changed, it got quiet. The kids were all playing and running around and we were having an, a great time with our friends as the ladies were all up at that ladies Bible study. But that moment that we heard that scream because someone was burning in pain, all activity stopped. Everyone looked and saw this girl screaming as the paramedics came and began to wrap her feet. She was screaming in pain and screaming in pain and screaming for her mom. And, and it just seemed at that time it would never stop. And those screams got into my mind and my sister's mind and my brother that was there as well. And for, for weeks after that, and all the children there, for weeks after that, all we could think about was the screams of this young girl crying in pain. Hell is real. The Bible says it's a place of flames. It's a place of torments. It's a place of suffering. The Bible says this in Revelation 20, verse number 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Listen to me, hell is not something that we ought to joke with. Hell is not something that we ought to take lightly. Hell is something that every single person alive today ought to consider and make sure that I have, the, I have what's necessary so that I don't come to this place of hell and torment. 
The Bible tells us this is a place of rage, a, grace, a place of great hatred, this place called hell. This man here in Luke chapter 16, I want you to see, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes. This man could see. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. This man could feel. This man, seeing Abraham afar off, he, he saw Abraham, he cried, he could speak, he, he could remember, he, he could talk, he could think. Hell is a place where you're going to, you're going to feel, you're going to hear, you're going to talk, you're going to think, you're going to remember. And I want you to, I want you to write this down. In verse number 25, the Bible says that, that Abraham said, son, remember, hell is going to be a place where you're going to remember. You're going to remember the times that you've rejected the gospel. I believe this, every time uh, you've rejected the gospel, that is going to run through your mind in hell for all of eternity. The fact that you heard about hope, the the fact that you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that you didn't have to spend eternity there, but you chose to reject Christ, and, and now you're at this place, and for all of eternity, you're going to remember the times you've rejected Christ. I believe in hell, the Bible, Bible tells, uh, Abraham tells uh, this rich man, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. I think for all of eternity, this person in hell is gonna remember their sins that they enjoyed here upon this earth. The Bible says that you're gonna enjoy sin for a season, but there is a price that's going to be paid. A person that rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ and thinks that they're going to handle their own sin, a person that thinks that maybe they're going to do enough good to outweigh that sin, you're never going to be uh, able to do enough good to outweigh your sin. You're never going to reach heaven any other way except Jesus Christ. If, if you could reach heaven any other way, then Jesus would be a liar. But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. But if a person chooses that they are going to try to get to eternity to heaven their own way, then they are going to, for all of eternity, remember the sin or the way they tried to get there, and they're going to realize it was helpless and hopeless in the deeds that they've done for all of eternity they're going to pay the price for. Could you imagine remembering all of your sins for eternity? You see, hell is the opposite of heaven because in heaven last week, we know we looked at Brother Kudrow that, that God is going to wipe away all of our tears. We're not going to remember the things that we did here. For all of eternity, we're not going to be haunted by the sins that we've committed and the mistakes that we've made and the failures that we've had. What God does is he comes and in that hand of God, he just wipes away those tears. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more death. There's no more tears. That's what heaven's going to be like. But hell is going to be the opposite. Hell is going to be a place where you remember every single thing that you've done here. Believe in hell, you're going to remember the simplicity of the cross. You see, some people think this, it's just too easy. All you have to do is pray and ask Jesus to save me. There's got to be more than that. But the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Sometimes we as humans, we complicate this too much. 
You say, all I have to do is recognize that I'm a sinner. All I have to do is confess that I'm a sinner and and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, salvation isn't cheap. It costs Jesus his life. He left heaven. He came to this earth. He went to the cross. He took every sin that you have ever committed, and he bore that. He became sin for you. He was beaten and he was bruised. He was battered. He was was mocked. He was punched. His, his, His beard was plucked. The crown of thorns were placed upon his head. His back was beaten. He was nailed to a a cruel cross. Salvation isn't cheap. But he did that so that you didn't have to. Some live this life wanting the thrills. Some live this life wanting the the lust of the flesh. Some live this life wanting the sinful pleasures. I want you to look with me in Revelation chapter 20, if you're there, in verse number 11. We read of an event called the great white throne judgment. We saw last week that there was a judgment that's a judgment seat of Christ. And this is where those of us that are saved, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But there's also a great white throne judgment. And the Bible says, John speaking, as he's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Revelation, he says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. These are those that have rejected Christ. These are those that will spend eternity in a lake of fire. They stood before God. They stood before this great white throne judgment and God opened the books up in every event, all the things that they did, all the sinful pleasure, all the lust, all the things that they lived their life for, the times they rejected Christ. It's all opened. The Bible says in verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. They were judged every man according to their works. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. If your name is not written in the book of life, eternity for you is you're cast into the lake of fire. One day you're going to stand at a great white throne judgment and all of your works, all of the things that you've done, all of your sin is going to be judged. And at that time, there's not going to be anything. There's not going to be good works. There's not going to be anything that's going to outweigh all of your sin. You're going to be judged for your sin. And the Bible says that at the end of that judgment, there's not going to be, all right, I, I, I'll forgive you some other way. Or, okay, I, I, I hear your story. Or, okay, I feel bad. All right, you were the victim. No, what happened at the end of that great white throne judgment is every single person that stood at that judgment seat, they were taken and they were cast into the lake of fire. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's forever. 
And just like in Luke chapter 16, verse number 26, Abraham is saying to this rich man, it's too late for this rich man, but those that are hearing the sound of my voice today, you still have hope. There's a great gulf fixed between you and, and us and you. There is a great, uh, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There's no way out. I want you to write this down. Number two, there's no way out. On Sunday night, October 8th, 1871, there was a great evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was preaching a revival in, in the city of Chicago in 1971. October 8th was the first night. It was a Sunday it was the first night of his revival. And D.L. Moody, Moody preached a, a salvation message. And he told the people there that evening that I want you to go home and I want you to think about the message and I want you to come back. And he was going to come back and he was going to preach how they could trust Christ. He wanted them to go home and recognize that they were lost and dead and trespasses and sin and, and they were hopeless without Jesus and they needed a savior and he preached this powerful message. And that night, in 1871, the great Chicago fire raged where most of Chicago burned. Some 3,000 souls went into eternity that night. D.L. Moody said, I'll never preach again without giving an invitation. I'll never preach again. He, he thought it moved him to, the, to, to think that there may have been some that died in that fire that evening after hearing a salvation message preached, but no conclusion on what to do. He said, never again will I preach. Never again will I preach salvation and not give someone an opportunity to respond to that salvation message. And just think that most of Chicago burned that night for three days or two and a half days or so. Chicago burned and 3,000 souls died and went off into eternity. My wife and I were looking at a house and when we lived in Cincinnati and we, were, we decided that we were going to build a house. And so we were in the model home and uh, looking at which model we were going to build. And as we were walking out of that house, that front door, there was a really sharp turn. And we saw a car make that turn. But as the car made that turn, they, the driver was weaving and rode off the road and hit the telephone pole right in front of us. hit the telephone pole so hard that the top of the telephone pole uh, uh, broke off. And he was, the horn just began to sound and there was nobody there. I went running to this car. The man was not wearing his seatbelt. And when I got to the car, he was wedged between the, uh, the steering well and then half his body where the, the passenger seat would be. And I couldn't, I couldn't get him out. And I got there and he was still talking and he was breathing and I asked him his name and he told me his name and I looked into the glove box and saw that he just lived right around the corner. He had just left his house. 
he was wedged down into this, the, under the dash and I couldn't get him out. I was trying my best. To, uh, another person came and called 911 and I held that man. I put my arms underneath his shoulders and I'm, I'm trying to get him out and I'm saying, hold on, help's on the way. Hold on, help's on the way. 911 operators told the person there that was standing there to, that we needed to get him out onto the ground and I, I couldn't get him out of that car. And I, I was pressed up against him. I had my arms underneath his shoulders. I was saying in his ear, stay with us. I'd hear the sirens of the ambulance. I said, I hear them coming, helps on their way. And as I said that a few more times, that man took his last breath as I held him in my arms. It haunted me for days. I don't know where that man is. He lived in the same town that we lived in. Just a few miles from the church that I worked at. I held that man as he took his last breath, but I don't know where he is. I, 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 don't, I don't know where he's spending eternity now. I, I went to the funeral. I met his family. I went to the funeral and spoke to the family and I shared the gospel with them, but I don't know where that man is. I thought of that man last night as I laid in bed knowing I was going to preach this message. And I thought to myself, here's someone. I was there. I was holding him. I was begging him to, to keep breathing. He took his last breath and I don't know where he slipped out into. I don't know if the angels in heaven escorted him into heaven. And I don't know if he opened his eyes in hell. But it moved me. It moved me to the place where I want everyone I meet to hear the gospel message. Hell moves a person. I want you to see with me, if you would please, here in, in verse number 27, the, this rich man, he says, bring me water, and, 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 and he can't have water. There's no relief. He learns that. And once he recognizes that, you don't find where he's arguing, saying, I don't deserve this. I don't want to be here, and, and this isn't fair. What he realizes is there's nothing that I can do. This is an eternal place for me. There is no relief here. The torments are great. And then he the, he turns his attention. He says this, then said he, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto the, them from the dead, they, they will repent. You find the only time that he argued with Abraham, the only time he tried to, 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 to uh, uh, get his way with Abraham was not when he said, can I have a dip of water to cool my tongue? And Abraham said, no, you don't find, but please, please, please just let him come with one drop. Once he heard the facts, he said, okay, I get it. I deserve to be here. This is eternal. But when he was told that Lazarus could not go to his, father, his brethren, he said, please let him go there. Because I don't want my brethren to come to this place. Listen to me, hell is not a place that you want anyone that you love to go to. Hell is not a place that you want anyone that you care about to spend eternity there. 
This rich man pleaded with Abraham. He said, let him go. And and Abraham said, he can't go. He said, he's got to go because I have five brothers that I love. And I don't want them to come to this place of torment. Listen to me. If you're a child of God, hell ought to move you. It ought to move you to the place where you say, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to tell everyone I can. I'm going to live a life in such a way that I could share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ so that someone does not have to spend eternity here in this place. Hell is real. In hell, you'll remember. You realize there's no way out. And you'll plead, you'll plead that nobody that you know will come to this place. What will you do with it today? Spurgeon said this, Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached to 10,000 people every Sunday, every Lord's Day at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Spurgeon said this, that he believed at any time 50% of the people that heard him preach were lost. 50% of the people that that heard him preach every Sunday didn't trust Christ as their savior. How sad that would be. What will you do with Christ today? Will you accept his payment that he made on the cross for your sin? Will 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 you confess him as your savior or will you reject him and say, no, I've got this figured out on my own. I'll handle this my way. What will you do with the gospel today?